Welcome to Crossing the Chasm, a sound physician's podcast covering a broad range of topics relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Greg Johnson. Obviously, over the last few weeks, there has been significant increase in the discussion around diversity, equity, inclusion, and its place not only in our society, but uh, within uh, organizations, within government, within schools. And there have been a number of challenges to not only its relevance, but whether or not the outcomes are worth the specific effort. Clearly, by making this particular podcast, it's my belief that diversity, equity, inclusion is integral to what we do in healthcare. And one of the opportunities that we've taken in publishing this podcast is highlighting journeys, but understanding that there are aspects of, there are programmatic aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion that lead to the careers of some outstanding individuals that we've happened to be able to bring on as guests. And I believe part of what we're trying to do is underscore that by ensuring that there is diversity of individuals in various leadership roles, particularly in healthcare, uh, there is equitable opportunity for individuals in healthcare, and there is thoughtfulness around inclusivity in healthcare. These are people that are continuing to dramatically impact their respective communities. This episode of Crossing the Chasm wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had the opportunity, if I hadn't had the opportunity to sit on a panel and spend some time with another remarkable individual who's been the beneficiary of diversity, inclusion, equity, and inclusion efforts in the military, uh, in his uh, academic upbringing, and now he's dedicated a significant portion of his life to it. Uh, I am proud to have Julian Slocum on as a guest this week because I think his is among many stories that really reinforces why DEI remains relevant and why it remains integral to our collective efforts in improving clinical outcomes, improving how we serve our communities and being more representative of the communities that we're serving. So I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I did in recording it. So welcome back to Crossing the Chasm. This is, again, Dr. Greg Johnson. And today I am joined by Julian Slocum. Julian is a 20-year retired veteran of the Army. Thank you very much for your service. Uh, as well as uh, the current Equal Employment Opportunity Man Program Manager uh, for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Central Texas Veteran Affairs uh, <coughs> 
hospital system. Uh, Julie and I had the opportunity to uh, be co-panelists uh, at uh, the Texas Hospital Association, and after hearing his story, I knew that we just had to have him on the podcast. So, Julian, welcome. Glad to have you here. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Johnson, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Fantastic and uh, super excited. And as always, we also have my producer and uh, partner in this endeavor, Jay Lee. So thanks again for being here, Jay. Uh, as we always do, Julian, and as I shared, um, the first part is we want to hear your story. What, um, how did you get where you are? And certainly, how did you end up um, getting this particular career in healthcare um, uh, with the VA? Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I feel like I have an amazing story. Um, I was born and raised in a small rural town uh, in Mississippi, Morton, Mississippi, to be exact. Um, we had one red light at the time when I grew up there um, in the 90s, and uh, now they got two red lights there. So <laughs> so just to give you a, a visual of the area that I grew up in, very small town, um, went to high school there, did real well in school. Uh, understood it. Um, I only had two options in my vision that that I could go after high school, uh, college or the military, right? From from the path that I saw others taking, um, that's all I could see. And and then when it comes to studying in college, um, you know, it was a broad uh, business or or education um, at that time. So um, I went to college. I followed the path like a lot of people did before me. I Quite didn't have the courage to go in the military, but it was kind of in my gut uh, to go in the military. But I bypassed that and uh, I attended Jackson State University uh, for two years. Didn't get a scholarship. Um, I did work study, worked two jobs, um, trying to um, afford to go to Jackson State during that time. And it just got too much on me after my second year. My grades were good. I had great, uh, you know, GPA and all of that. So I said, you know what, I was, I got burnt out. And, uh, I joined the military at 20 years old, uh, and I left Jackson State. Uh, a lot of my friends, uh, family thought I had lost my mind. Um, but 20-year-old Julian uh, joined the United States Army, and uh, the best decision I ever made. And uh, so I joined the uh, military, not really thinking of uh, the career field. I just wanted to get in, get the benefits, get some of that student loan <laughs> paid off, if you will. And yep. uh, I accomplished that. I started out as the uh, heavy equipment operator, believe it or not, getting dirty, out in the field. Um, I got a chance to do some deployments, travel the world, see some great places, meet some great people. And uh, did my four years, and I said, you know what? I'm tired of getting dirty, going out in the field. So I got out of the military for uh, six months. And then I decided, oh, well, this ain't going so well once I got out. I missed it. Um, and I got back in around the six months. And guess what I did, Dr. Johnson? Um, I joined up to do healthcare. Um, I became a, uh, a dental tech and then I did real well in that course. And then I, I became a dental hygienist. Uh, did pretty good at that. And then they put me over uh, the dental clinics uh, in the military. So if you go to every base, they have a dental clinic. I was in charge of those clinics, uh, sort of like, I guess, if you will, uh, a practice manager. So I did that for, uh, for ten, around 10 years of my career. Then I jumped off into recruiting. And then that's why I ended my uh, career as recruiting. But the, the, the great thing about it, uh, my last few years, they had me as an equal opportunity advisor to the commander. 
So I advise on diversity and inclusion and, um, you know, EO complaint process, um, different things like that for, for the military service members and their families. And uh, I loved it. I loved, I, I was able to see myself and what diversity, equity, inclusion did for me as a young man coming from Warren, Mississippi, and then being able to watch that work in the military. And I just knew that was something in my gut that I wanted to continue doing. So guess what? Here I am. Um, I've retired in 2020. I'm, I'm working for the Department of Veteran Affairs uh, as the Equal uh, Employment Manager. And uh, my focus is diversity, equity, inclusion. So here I am. Glad to be here. A fantastic story. And uh, yeah, there's so much to, to to delve into there. I think my first question to you is, you obviously highlighted diversity, equity, inclusion is something that you got to do later on in your career and you developed a passion about it. Why the passion? Why why does it matter so much to you? Uh, it, it does. And again, um, I was able to see myself as I got into it and really learn and educated myself through all the trainings they give us on how to um, be a neutral and actually the knowledge base to see the lack of diversity, equity, inclusion, the, the, the negative effects that it has. And I saw myself in those negative effects once I learned really what it was and saw how things uh, played a part. So uh, some of the things that I've, I've learned, I saw in myself was that, um, for instance, you, you have uh, two people looking at a ball game from a fence, right? They're, they're, they're just standing there together. Um, one person may be, Dr. Johnson, I'm kind of short. So I may have a hard time seeing that game. Um, then you may have a clear shot at seeing that game. But however, if you give me a step to stand on, I mean, you could see the game at the same level. And, and, and we can't miss nothing with the game. So that's what I was able to see, that I, did, I needed a step. I needed a step compared to some of my colleagues and my peers to be able to see the game at the level that, you know, everybody else would be able to see it. So that's, that's, the, that's the biggest thing I saw. And that kind of drove that passion inside me to, to want to continue that, to make sure others uh, had that same opportunity. And I've been able to do that on, on various levels. That's fantastic. And thank you for, for helping to really get a better understanding of where your passion comes from. And, and obviously it does have to be personal. Um, I, I think that uh, for everybody, whether you are black, brown or, uh, or not, <laughs> um, I think, you know, understanding that uh, DEI is a very personal initiative is, is quite important. So tell us, uh, get, tell us really what is like, when you're evaluating what's going on from a DEI perspective in the VA, like what what is your what are you evaluating? What are you looking at? Because um, you know there are a lot of issues with DEI re related to veterans. Some people actually want veterans to be a separate part of DEI initiatives in the non-military world because veterans have. Um, you know, the, the unemployment rate is so high for, for uh, male and, and female veterans. But I'd love to hear from your perspective, like, what are you doing as an equal opportunity um, employment manager within the VA? Um, and what are you looking for? And, and what are the things that you, that you or what are you charged to? I, I don't know if it's fixed. I'm, I'm really interested in what your role is. Oh, man, I have I have a fantastic role. I, I am so blessed to be doing what I'm doing. And because uh, I can now uh, see the results of it, the fruits of the labor. 
Um, I speak not on behalf of the VA. I speak for for Julian and my experiences. Um, sure. But however, I will tell you, um, I've been able to number one, uh, Doctor Justin. I think we talked about this on the last panel. You have to be in a. You have to. The organization have to invest in the human capital, meaning they have to have someone like Julian that's gonna look at the organization at from a uh, diversity, equity, inclusion perspective. For instance, what are do do we even know uh, what's the percentage of minority veterans in our in Central Texas in our footprint? All right, that's one thing. Now, once we know that, so what? What's some of the uh, shortcomings? What What's some of the problems we have? What's What's some of the access to care problems that 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 we're having from the minority population? For instance, uh, again, I speak from my experience. This area is uh, 53% our population. The veteran we serve is 53% of what we serve is uh, minorities, right? So now let's look at our workforce demographic. Who the providers, the the nurses, sure. um, you know, the the financial staff that we have. Now let's look at our workforce profile. Let's analyze the data and see if, do we have any shortcomings. So some of the things that I do is on a yearly basis. I analyze the the workplace uh, profile. I submit a report to the director with some recommendations, and then throughout the year we we measure, you know, the effectiveness of that. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I found to be true, and I would like to see it across the world, is for the organizations to invest in the human capital. Hire someone to look at that data, right? Hire someone to to look at the data and see the shortcomings when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and uh, hold the agency accountable to making sure that we're doing things and steps to fix it. If it ain't working, Guess what? We, we're going to know it's not working. Let's try something else. But we got to stay on it and, and be actively engaged in fixing those some of those uh, deficiencies. Are there some specific outcomes that you've noticed? And again, knowing that you're not a physician, but do yeah. you with, with some of the you mentioned we have a workforce, then we have the demographics of the population that we're serving. Are there outcomes that are specifically the the VA or, or you've been sort of charged with targeting and saying, hey, you know, this is a particular problem? Because I wouldn't be familiar with anything specific right. to the veteran right. veteran population. Uh, yeah. I give you uh, some specifics. Uh, we, we hired uh, we have a minority veterans coordinator. Right. Mm -hmm. And what they do, we track they go out into the community. They go out and talk to uh, veterans in the rural areas. Um, so we're, we're definitely taking a look at that, tracking that, um, where, you know, they may not be getting, the, they may not even be signed up to get care from the VA. And uh, we're going out there, getting them signed up, you know, educating them uh, about the services they have to them. A lot of veterans don't know about some of the services that's out there for them. And that's the big thing. So we hired, uh, we got a minority veterans coordinator that we send out to these communities to these rural areas like where Julian come from, like you can see my passion. And uh, uh, we're, we're actually educating the veterans, getting them signed up for care, um, and things like that uh, for that. But also one of the things I want to highlight too that we do is, um, so for Julian, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I got different experience than you, Dr. Johnson, right? So representation is, is very important that I find too along this journey, right? So I'm going to feel more comfortable um, if I have an issue talking to another veteran that may have been down the same road that I've been down. So one of the things we look at 
uh, we try to uh, look at our percentage that we hire, our hiring practices, as far as um, targeted disabilities. We want to give veterans that got disabilities a chance to work and earn a, a living and be in an environment, you know, where it's a little bit more comfortable than corporate America, because that's why, you know, we want to get out to this homelessness uh, pandemic, I, I would call it, that's out there. A lot of, uh, you know, my brothers and sisters, um, they don't feel like they have an avenue where nobody can relate to them. You know, that's just me going out doing grassroots, talking to homeless veterans. And that's what I find a lot. So I think it's great. I'm very passionate about, uh, again, analyzing the data. How many, how many uh, with, uh, persons with disability do we have here at, at Central Texas, right? What's the percentage? So our goal is uh, to be 12%. And uh, we, we've exceeded that. So, wow. so again, and another thing we look at um, is, so based on the, the relevant civilian labor force, I look at labor reports that's out there in the community. Mm-hmm. How are we doing? How, how many African-Americans are, are we employing at the VA, right? How many females? How many Caucasian? How many Caucasian males? How many Caucasian females? How many Asians? How, you know, you, you just, you name it, we're looking at it. And then we, we're notifying discrepancies and then we're targeting, specifically trying to target and educate and and do job fairs to to kind of close the gap and hire some of those uh anything with discrepancy because what happens what i'm finding is uh i know for for me growing up my family members uh from where i'm from they terrified of getting care going to the doctor right mm-hmm. so that you know getting them more comfortable with going to the doctor is, is education and, and representation as well so it's very important that you know uh, the the clients are comfortable with getting care, and then they see someone that represents them. It may be a little bit more comfortable. That's facts. No, I I think you know there was that report that came out um, a couple of days ago um, that um, released in the Journal of American Medical Association, and again wasn't specific to veteran populations. But when you discuss representation, part of the reason why. I think a lot of um, certainly black patients get uh, concerned is, you know, that report really highlighted that outcomes were better (laughs) black doctor to black patient. Um, And it was actually like a mortality difference, which is the the biggest concern, right? I don't want to go to the doctor and and die because I was denied or didn't access treatment. And so your point, representation does um, significantly matter and and get into there. But I want to go back for a second, Julian, because you said something and uh, you. Veterans have VA benefits, but one of the things that you said is you're having to continue to go out into the community to make sure that people are accessing their benefits. Is there, what, what's the reason? Like, why are people not accessing their benefits? Why are, I mean, is it a lack of knowledge? Is it a lack of, they perceive lack of access? Why aren't people signing up for their benefits if they know that they're going to have them? Uh, that, that's a great question. That's a great question. It's a, it's a, um, it's a lack of knowledge, uh, education. So the, the VA has uh, made it a point to you know, again, that's in the human capital. Hire these people, hire people to go out there and educate our veterans to kind of bring them on board and say, hey, you know, did you know that you can get that taken care of? The VA, right. uh, we have these programs, we have this this medicine, we have, you know, we have uh, a place for you to stay. You know, it's, it's a program, we can get you help. And, uh, and, and another thing, I think 
that I love that I'm seeing the switch turn is the mental health piece of things. Uh, it is it, it, not uh, a downer for for veterans to go get help. Uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing that the, the environment has changed. It's more comfortable. It's, it's kind of being the norm. It's okay for you to go get help. You know, so that's that's some of the things that I'm seeing in my short time being retired from the military and being a part of the VA. Uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing some positive. I'm seeing some positive changes that that are, that are definitely taking place. It's not perfect, but uh, but to answer your question, the, the short answer to that, uh, Dr. Johnson, it's it's uh, lack of education of the resources. Okay, well, that's it's bad to know that it's a lack of education, but it's good to know that there's obviously programs in there in place to to address that. I, I'm also interested in reflecting back on what you stated about the the focus, uh, obviously. You know, it's another area of DEI that, you know, and there's it's DEI so expansive and to figure out we we discussed representation, but I loved what you commented in terms of saying like it is a real thought process about getting um, disabled veterans back into the workforce and understanding how they can help their, uh, you know, their, their fellow uh veterans um, and, and get involved in the VA itself. Like the fact that you were like, look, we're, we're absolutely looking. We've, we made a determination. I think you said it was 12%. We're going to go out there and make sure that we're, we're going to do that effectively is, is fantastic. I think that um, disability is frequently something that's left off the list of DEI initiatives. Um, right. And it's fabulous to hear that you're, you're addressing that specifically. Absolutely. To, to, to that end, one question, would you be able to expand a little bit on what that even looks like in terms of, um, you know, initiatives for disability, uh, people with disabilities and getting them in the workforce? Because part of yeah. my background, I used to be a special ed teacher. So I think I think I have a little bit of, a, 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 you know, knowledge kind of, of what people with disabilities opportunities. But I think a lot of times a lot of people that don't have like family members or people around them with disabilities, you know, they they think of disabilities one way and it's, it's a misperception. And so if you can kind of maybe clear that up a little bit and talk about what that practically speaking looks like. Oh, oh, that that is that's a great question. So I find a lot of times, you know, the stigma, we talked about the stigma. I told you I've seen the switch turn, right? So previously there's a stigma. It may be a lot of employees already in the VA that have a disability. Guess what? They just don't want anybody to know it, right? And they don't want anyone to know they're going to get help. So what we did, we've had programs. I've put on programs, employed with disability programs, talking about you know the importance of being able to get help. It's okay to to identify, self-identify of having a, a disability. So we have a program. We have a uh, we put it on our email tags and everything. Uh, you can anonymously go self-tag yourself as having a disability for our tracking purposes. And once we did, once we did that, the, the anonymous self-identification tab. The, Saying, hey, I got a disability. Uh, the numbers just went, and I was like, wow. So, to the short uh, answer to your question is just it's the environment. Create an environment where you want the veteran or anybody to be comfortable with having a disability and being able to uh, seeing that somebody's going to take uh, give them an opportunity to to still be able to be productive in the work uh, environment. Based, you know, even though they have a uh, disability, we also uh, part of the EEO complaint process. Uh, part of what I do also is reasonable accommodation. We give uh, we give reasonable accommodation to to uh, to our employees. Uh, we 
we work with management and the employee to kind of start the interactive process to talk about, okay, management can say, well, I can do this for you, June. I can get, I know you got a bad back. I can give you uh, upgrade your chair. Uh, we may be able to, you know, telework or, or whatever the case may be that management and that employee comes up when it starts the interactive process. So that helps. I, I think that's fabulous. And I think, you know, when you're talking about the, the volume of people going up, I think it's understanding and being very clear about like, what are you doing with that information? It's, yes, we want to categorize, but it's because exactly what you said, we're looking to pull you in to the system. So A, you can access what we have available and B, because you still have useful talents that can help the, you know, to, can help the, the organization in your case, the, the VA. So I think it's a, I think that's a fabulous approach um, to, to address and, and something that uh, is, it's an area that is incredibly difficult, particularly in healthcare to address. Um, but I think it, it, the, the way that you uh, all have designed it to, to ensure that um, people can identify, can identify comfortably and knowing that you're putting that information to good use to support, help and support them is, is incredibly important. So Julian, uh, we've been, Jay and I just been after you, mostly me, but Jay jumped in with a little question about, you know, a variety of things, but we have our regular section here uh, that we, we try and make a break, which is ask, ask Greg. So um, I, uh, people have asked some high, hard fastballs uh, kind of questions and I'm, I'm all ready for whatever you okay. got to ask, but yeah. what, what's on your mind? What, oh, absolutely. I have two, two, two okay. uh, questions for you. The first question is, uh, Dr. Johnson, is do you, uh, we talked about some of the things I'm seeing as a veteran, uh, been in the military, been in the VA. Do you see uh, healthcare uh, facilities um, across Texas, across the United States? Um, do you see them investing in the human capital to hire, you know, hire persons to actually look at the, the data when it comes to uh, is there any barriers uh, for when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Uh, so it's a great question. And I would say it's like anything else in the world. <laughs> it's a spectrum. Um, I think that there are, you know, when I think of a spectrum, I think at the early end of the spectrum, there are folks that when you say, uh, you know, what uh, human capital data do you have? They're like, we have humans. Uh, and then on the far right, you have very sophisticated uh, organizations that uh, not only are looking at representation, but they're actually looking at, um, you know, doing a lot of the work that you've described that is getting done. First, they're looking not only at their organization, but the communities that they serve. Um, is there, you know, um, are, what are the opportunities to really engage the, the uh, communities that they're serving um, so that that way not only are, you know, it's not just that you're providing a service, but you're really interacting to understand what the actual needs are as opposed to, you know, looking at it and analyzing it from a distance. Uh, and so I, I think it's a spectrum. I think that the, the, I would love to call DEI a movement. I don't feel we're there yet, but I think that the, the 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 DEI cause has certainly put it on more people's radar that you should you should evaluate the data. But I would say most health systems, quite honestly, are pretty data poor. Okay. Yeah. 
my uh my last question uh so i spoke i was speaking with my niece she uh she get ready to wrap up at, uh nursing at uh southern miss hattiesburg mississippi um she wants to continue on so she's a minority uh what advice would you give her well i think these are the things that I say to, every, to let, let me let me I don't mean to cut you off yeah, but no, no, more specifically when she said the the difficulty getting into internships and programs. Well, I, I, I think it's a that's a great comment. And so I think the first place I always start is healthcare is a wonderful place to be. I don't care what any things that people are reading or saying. I tell everybody I love being a physician. I love being in healthcare because this is the one time that you know that what you do, um, whether it's administratively, educationally, direct patient care, what have you, we're making a difference in people's lives. So this is the greatest, this is the greatest area and profession to get involved in. I think the in terms of addressing the difficulties uh, of identifying internships or training programs or those sorts of things. I think that there's been a lot of progress made in those fronts, but it's really identifying the organizations that are best that are best positioned to to um, help with that. Um, I know that uh, the um, America and I know very little about the American Nurses Association, but I know that they've done a lot of work in terms of developing their DEI initiatives and making sure that those are specifically um, addressed. I know that if her uh, goal and uh, speaking very specifically about your niece is to continue to advance, there are a number of um, uh, institutions that uh, further careers in terms of um, people going on to CRNAs, certified um, registered nurse uh, anesthetists, or um, uh, advanced practice nurses or, or APPs. Whatever your career is, there's an opportunity to engage, and it's not just with historically black colleges and universities, but a variety of other institutions have really thrown meaningful financial commitment to it, as well as resources to make sure that there is ongoing mentorship um, and sponsorship for individuals like your niece. And so I think it's really being thoughtful about, like, what do I want to do? And then, you know, the wonderful part about the internet is you can look it up and find three or four organizations that are really dedicated to doing it. I know even, um, you know, and, and I, I spend, I, I've worked very closely with my nurse practitioner colleagues, and I know that they've uh, named off a number of institutions that have been really, really um, forthcoming in terms of advancing um, DEI in, in the, the nurse practitioner field as well. So th those are the things I would, I would certainly share. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's so moving forward? What's your next big project? What's the the biggest thing that you're working on now, and that you you think has the most promise for for DEI within the the Central Texas VA? Oh, uh, I just uh, completed my master's in uh, management. Bravo! Congratulations, uh, Sullivan University. Uh, so I'm. Uh, I'm also do a lot of with conflict management, right? We got to know how to be able to control our emotions and get along uh, with each other in the workplace. So as far as the uh, the DEI piece, I think I laid the the groundwork for that, and uh, it's only thing I got to do is just check in on it. It's going, but I really want to uh, really dive into the conflict management piece because, as you know, uh, in healthcare, it's the burnout. 
uh, that's going around, right? So to help with that burnout, uh, we spend, I tell employees all the time, we spend more time together than we do with our own families. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, if you, if you think about it, you know, excluding the weekends. Um, so the, the next chapter for me, I, I, I want to uh, bring uh, my expertise that I've learned in uh, my master's program uh, when it comes to conflict management, conflict resolution. So that's that's what's uh, on the horizon for me. I'm already starting uh, training uh, with different uh, sections of uh, Central Texas VA. Uh, so that's that's what I'm excited about right now. Yeah, I can see where it fits in because I think, you know, as we look at a lot of the resistance to a lot of DEI initiatives and getting those put in, having conflict resolution skills is pretty important in terms of getting people to settle down and understand, yes, there's an emotional component, but there's, you know, meaningful logic behind taking these initiatives forward. And and to be culturally aware of each other. Yeah, no, I think it's it's absolutely critical. Yeah. 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 Jay, anything that you have to add or any additional questions that you want to? I do have one question. This is slightly kind of changing the topic a little bit um, or the approach with, with what we're, we're talking about. But with DEI, I know you're talking a lot about kind of the clients and serving them. But I am kind of curious, do you feel like, um, you know, you give a lot of recommendations to other leaders. Do you feel like it? there's a part of your job of having to educate them or create buy-in? Um, and I ask that mainly probably because just the other week, you know, talking to someone and, and mentioning DEI, you know, person in IT security was just like, oh, it, it all, so that's just tokenism. We only get, that just means, you know, underqualified people get get jobs. And, and it was trying to unpack that a little bit with, with this person. But I'm wondering, I mean, I'm, he he's not the only person out there. I'm sure within every organization there are. And I'm wondering those challenges of, of how you tackle them and, and what does it look like for you? Uh, the, the biggest the biggest thing for me, I've learned this even not just when I got here, but while I was in the military, you have to get the buy-in from the top. It starts at the top. So if you don't have the buy-in from the top, you those so if the if you have the buy-in at the top, that individual you're talking about, his perception is is irrelevant because the top is going to push it down, right? We're going to create policies in place to to make sure that we're doing it. So what I do is. Every two weeks, I have a meeting with the uh, medical center director for Central Texas. He had, uh, he invested uh, time into DEI uh, by allowing me and him to just sit down and talk for 30 minutes. Every two weeks, clockwork. Every other Tuesday, we sit down and we talk. And we talk about uh, barriers. Uh, we talk about uh, events that we're going to have. We do a lot of events, uh, you know, uh, celebrate Black History Month, celebrate Native uh, American uh, Indian uh, Month. We celebrate employees with disabilities. We do all kinds of events across the organization. So we we dialogue. Uh, And and to answer your question, uh, there is is resistance to change. Um, You know, we have to be realistic about that. But however, when you make it part of your strategic plan, you know, you, you're going to be successful with the vision and it starts at the top. Great. And then I guess one last question to that. Um, just wondering for like our listeners, you know, wide range of, of people, different backgrounds. Would you give any advice on like how to create that buy-in? Uh, yeah, um, it, it's simple. It's simple. If you do some research, uh, the top most uh, efficient 
organizations in the world are those that are that have diversity, equity, and inclusion. It can't work efficiently if you don't if you don't have it. If you don't have that buy-in, it is it, not going to be it's not going to be uh, efficient. And and it, you you can look it up. I mean, it's, it's studies that that prove that and stand on that. Uh, so, for instance, Julian and Dr. Johnson, I grew up in Mississippi. He may have grew up uh, in New York or whatever. We we got a different way of doing things. We may have a different way of doing things, but however, we take a, uh, the important stuff from Dr. Johnson and, and the important stuff of uh, Julian and the important stuff from Jay. We mix it all together. We, we got a, we got a powerful machine because everyone felt like they uh, they were uh, included inclusion. To, to the final product. So so that's what that's what it's all about. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for the answer. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Julian. Well, I think we are a little over the, the time that we had originally planned. I promised Julian I was going to get him out of here on time. Um, <laughs> so um, we're, Jay's going to start wrapping up to so that way we can bring it to a close. But uh, we, I thank you so much, Julian, for your being here, um, for sharing your story, for sharing your perspective. Uh, I think um, that uh, there's a ton that I've taken away in terms of getting a little bit of better understanding of what um, some of our veterans are going through. Uh, I certainly got a much better perspective in terms of the level of rigor that you've implemented in your role in terms of helping to, um, you know, identify not only support our veterans, but then really focus on d disabled veterans and getting them um, involved in as part of your representation efforts. Um, and I just want to thank you for being here. It's uh, awesome to have you on as a guest. It was great meeting you and uh, great continuing the dialogue uh, around DEI and healthcare. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. And uh, it's a pleasure for, for me, for you to invite me. It means a lot to me more than you know, but I, I appreciate the, you giving me the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with you. That's all right. Well, to all of our listeners, uh, tune in for uh, another two weeks from now. We'll, we'll have additional episodes of Cross and the Chasm. Uh, to everybody, have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you for joining us for Crossing the Chasm, a sound physician's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to Crossing the Chasm wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Physicians is a multi-specialty medical group committed to improving quality and reducing the cost of healthcare for patients in communities across the country. Learn more at www.soundphysicians.com.